0: All right, I am really excited about this sermon and uh, the passage that I, I want to base it off of is Titus chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 11. And we're, we're thinking about the idea of redemption. What do, what do Christians mean by redemption? And listen to this great passage. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now here it is, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You know, what we're talking about is we're thinking about cross dimensions. When we say that the message of the cross is powerful for those who believe, what do we mean by that? What, 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 why is it that the message of the cross is powerful? And here, we, we, and, and here in this passage... What we understand is, is that the message of the cross is about our redemption. That Jesus died to redeem us. Now, what is the meaning of the word redemption? Really quick, real easy concept to understand. Redemption means to be delivered at great cost. That's what it means. Redemption means to be delivered at great cost. It was a word that was used in the ancient world for the slave market. When a slave was purchased and the slave's freedom was purchased, they were being redeemed. Does that make sense? In fact, in the, in, in the New Testament times and in the ancient world, redemption was a very secular word. It wasn't, it wasn't a religious word at all. When we hear redemption, we think about religion, we think about spirituality and things like that. But in fact, this word was a very secular word. It was, it was used to describe purchasing something at a great cost, right? So now think about it. Last week, when we looked at the dimension of the cross, the message of the cross and justification, what we studied there is that because of the death of Jesus Christ, the penalty of sin has been paid. Amen? Isn't that a great thing? The penalty of sin has been paid. We are justified in the presence of the great judge of the world in the courtroom. We are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. If you're somebody, you're like, how do I become a Christian? How do I begin to walk in this idea of being a Christian? I can tell you that the way you become a Christian is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. To believe in him and he will save you, he will forgive you, he will take away the penalty of your sin. But when we move from the courtroom to the slave market, when we move from justification to redemption, now we're beginning not to talk about the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. We're beginning to look at the idea that God doesn't just want to pay our penalty and declare us not guilty and declare that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but God wants to take away the obligation that we have to the bondage of sinfulness. God wants to redeem us from chains and shackles and addictions and sinfulness and brokenness. And sometimes I think that we, we make Christianity too complicated. You know, we, we can over-spiritualize it. We can, we can start talking these big terms. But I want you to know that Christianity is about the farmer being able to go out into his field as a free man in his identity and his relationship with God and have peace in his work. Christianity is about a lawyer who's able to do his work with integrity and, and, and to do his job in a way to where he's at peace with himself. He's comfortable in his own skin. Christianity is about the housewife who's trying to raise her children with faithfulness and nurturing, and, and she has peace while she's doing her daily activities. Christianity is about real people walking in life and, and becoming human again because of the power of God to come and set them free. The power of, of being delivered from sin means that husbands begin to learn how to, how to love their wives and not fight their wives. The power of Christianity is, is a wife being able to have the power and the wherewithal to grant her husband permission to be the leader in her life. This is what Christianity is. It's about redeeming human beings to return them again to the real relationships of life. Redemption. Redemption. And, you know, we were reading, uh, been studying a book called Knowing God. We just finished it with some men uh, every other Saturday. We look at this book. It's by J.I. Packer, who's a, absolutely, he's a British guy. He's really smart, and, and and we just love, we call him Jimmy P. We love J.I. Packer. Great book on knowing God. We just finished uh, studying it together as a few of us men uh, every other Saturday. But one of the things he said that we talked about uh, yesterday, y- yesterday morning is J.I. Packer says, you know what we need to do is we need to, take possession of our possessions in Christ. And what I want you to do as we walk through this idea of redemption, I want us to take possession of the possession that we have in Jesus Christ. We are delivered. We are redeemed from the power of sin. We can be transformed. We can grow. We don't have to be slaves anymore. The shackles can come undone. Let us possess this possession in Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I always get frustrated when I spend a lot of money on something and then I never use it. How about you? Have you ever seen that? Or or you hear about people who do this, you know, like they buy the boat, but they never go to the lake, you know, that kind of type deal. And I feel like as believers, as Christians, sometimes we're not walking in the very things that Christ wants us to walk in. And one of the things we need to possess is redemption. So let's look at it. A few things about redemption. First of all, how can I possess redemption and walk in, in redemption? Number one, you need to define your chains, Define your chains. What is it exactly that we are being redeemed from? You can see from this passage in Titus that Jesus redeems us, verse 14, from all lawlessness. Uh, It's pretty clear that God wants us to see how bad of a condition we are, how much we need redemption. In fact, I would argue that we need redemption far more than we think. Ephesians chapter one verse seven talks about redemption. It says, "In him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace." You see that? From transgressions, Or first Peter, first Peter. Yeah, chapter 1, verse 18, my bad. See what happens when the pastor gets sick. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. You can see these, these terms. You know, number one, you know, sin is being described as futile ways. Sin is being described in Titus as lawlessness. Sin is being described as transgression. You know, transgression means we're, we're crossing boundaries that God has set up for us. And, and, and Jesus comes into our life to redeem us from, from transgressing the boundaries that God gives to us. Or, or if you think about lawlessness, what is lawlessness as Titus talks about it? Lawlessness is people who don't care about God's boundaries, who have a heart of, of being lawless. Like, it doesn't matter what I do. Like, I am, uh, there's a word for it, it's called antinomian. Uh, people without the law, they don't care about what God's rules are. They don't care about God's boundaries. They, in fact, they might even say, hey, God doesn't care about boundaries. I can, I can be loved by God no matter what I do. See, that's a spirit of law. Lawlessness, or, or as First Peter says, futile ways—ways ways that are futile. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament describes sinfulness as evil. Everybody say evil. It's a really interesting word. Evil was a was a word that that really spoke to trouble or. In fact, there's a, a verse in, in Psalm chapter 5, verse 5, where it talks about evildoers or workers of trouble is a way to translate that. Evil was actually a word that was used to describe something that had gone bad, something that had gone malignant. It was used of food that has gone bad. If, if your food goes bad in the fridge, it was once good, but now it's gone bad. It's malignant, right? The expiration date has come and gone, and now it's Evil in terms of it's become troublesome, it's malignant. Or if an animal is used, the Hebrew word for evil is used for animals that, that, had, that had become dangerous or troublesome. I remember when I was little, about eight years old, man, one of the most scarring events of my life. I wonder if this has happened to anybody here. Open up the fridge and there was this cold looking gallon of milk. I was about eight years old, man, and I was like, that looks good, and I poured it into a cup, and I brought it up, and right as I was beginning to drink it, I could smell something malignant. You know what I'm saying? It had gone evil, and man, I had that that rotten milk taste in my mouth for like weeks and you know what I've done if I'm lying I'm dying, Sherry will tell you if I'm lying I'm dying, I always check the expiration date on a milk carton or cottage cheese, can I get an amen and, and, and if our milk in our household the way I lead my home, if, if our milk is even within two days of the expiration date it's gone right, because when something good goes bad that's troublesome, that's malignant now listen to me You and I are the glorious ruins of God. Did you know that? We are made in the image of God and deeply loved. But because of sinfulness, because of futile ways, because of lawlessness, because of of transgressions, you know what's happened? We've gone malignant. And Jesus came to redeem us from that, to restore us to a quality, to begin to bring us back to the way we were made to be. Jesus died so that he could purchase us from expiration date tardiness to, to bring us back to the quality that he was beginning to work in our lives. See, Jesus died on the cross so that you and I could be delivered and redeemed. Now that's at a broad level. The broad level of our chains is that we get into trouble. We get into evil. We get into futile ways. But on a much deeper... If we left it there, if we just said, well, you know, sin just leads to uh, uh, malignancy. Sin just leads to problems. Sin leads to problems in our life and in our relationships. That would be very true. But on a much deeper level, I want you to know that if you really want to define your chains of sin, it's not just about the trouble that comes out of your life because of sin, but it's because of the root of sin, and the root of sin is turning away from from a desire for God the root of sin is not loving God in fact I would say that trouble outwardly and practically comes in our life because we stop desiring God and we exchange the glory of God for other things does that make sense and so what Jesus is trying to redeem in us is not just to make us good boys and girls, but to make us human beings that once again adore the, the Savior, adore God, and we return to a relationship of love and worship and praise of God, our King and our Maker. In fact, I would say that the secret to success, the secret to overcoming futile, futile ways, is to have a relationship with God. It's to get into his presence. It's to be confident in the fact that we can have a relationship with God. Jesus came to redeem us and to take off the chains and the shackles of being separated from God. You know, I don't know where you're at. We're all at different places in our relationship with God. And you know what? It's a week-to-week thing, isn't it? Sometimes we can have a great week with God and sometimes we can have a week where we barely think about God. Sometimes we can have a day, most of the days in my life, sometimes I love a lot of other things more than I love God. That doesn't mean I don't love God or that I don't love Jesus, but much of my life is desiring things more than desiring God. And what the message of redemption teaches me, the message of the cross, the power of the cross, is it says, look at this God. Look at this God that made you, that created you, who is the most worthy of your praise. And keep coming back to that relationship. Keep coming back to that praise of God. If we're going to define our chains, we have to define that the root of all of our problems is separation from God. And Jesus wants to return us to a love for God. And You know, in my life, when I was young, before I became a Christian, I didn't love God at all. Sometimes I was scared of God. Sometimes I compared other people to the concept of God. I would look at other people who said they knew God, and I would say, now that person is the reason why I don't like God. Have you ever been there? Not necessarily I hated Jesus, but sometimes I hated his followers, right? I had all these excuses. But the, the measure of my salvation in Christ was Christ taught me, to love God no matter what anybody else is doing or whatever else is going on to return me to worship and relationship with God so if we're going to talk about redemption and really possess our possession of redemption then let us make sure we're defining our our chains But here's the second thing, from the problem to the solution of redemption. And the solution is, listen, delight, delight in your bargain. Delight in your bargain. It says here in verse 14 that Jesus Christ gave himself, you could underline that, he gave himself for us. To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. What is the price? We said, what, if, we, if we're going to define redemption, redemption is deliverance at great cost. So what is the cost? What's the price that was paid for our redemption? Is it not anything more or less than the person of Jesus Christ in our place? Isn't the cost of our redemption the very person of Jesus Christ? You're like, man, that's really great. But I like Ephesians 1 where where it talks about that we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We're redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. There's a great passage in Revelation 5 that says, You are worthy because you have ransomed people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and, and language with your blood right and you're just like man what's blood mean again we we looked at this last week we looked at the fact that you know blood is kind of a source of life and when we see that Jesus's blood was shed for our sins we see that Jesus had given his life that it was the loss of Jesus's life that provided justification it was this message of the shed blood of Jesus that cried out that that was God's message to us that we've been forgiven we've been justified by faith but in terms of redemption what does the blood and the death of Jesus teach us the blood of Jesus points to three things let me let me tell them about Jesus number one it points to the incarnation of Jesus Christ what was paid for our redemption, that the eternal Son of God would humble himself and become a human being. You see, the blood. The blood points to the humanity of Jesus Christ. And when he did that, he was exerting great expense to come so that, so that you and I could be redeemed. The second thing that the blood of Jesus points to is the temptation of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you were to read the book of Hebrews, the one thing you'll, you'll see emphasized is that Jesus became a human being so that he could be tempted in all ways as a human man and yet overcome temptation. Hallelujah. You're like, why is that important? I'll tell you why that's important. Number one, because we needed a representative to overcome temptation, to overcome sin, so that we could lay hold of his righteousness. But number two, so that we could have a Savior who could identify with us in weakness and help us to overcome temptation in our life. Listen, if you want to learn how to fly an airplane, who do you go to? You go to a pilot. And if you want to learn how to surf, you go to a surfer. And if you want to learn how to ride a motorcycle, you better go to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Amen? And when you want to overcome temptation, when you want to overcome the temptation to walk into bondage, when you want to overcome, listen, the blood cries out that here is one who is completely human. He's overcome temptation. And we can go to him and say, how do I fly in life? How do I surf through life? How do I overcome temptation in my life? And Jesus will help us because he's our savior, he's our shepherd, he's our leader, he's our guide, he's our hero leading us to overcome and to be victorious in and through him. You see, the blood of Jesus in our redemption points to his incarnation, his temptation, and of course, the blood points to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That he died. He died on the cross. Ultimately, he died... So that he could overcome death. He took death on. He absorbed it in his flesh. He was buried. He was put in that tomb. And then he overcame. And he came out three days later. Amen. So that all who believe in him will also overcome death. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. You see, the blood points to the crucifixion which prepares us. For the resurrection, you see, Jesus ultimately shows us, and he wants you and I to know, and he wants me to preach, he wants me to proclaim, he wants me to declare with boldness and with zeal, look at this great cost, look at this, look at this price that was paid. Look at how much God gave so that you could be redeemed. You're not redeemed at at nickels and cents. You're redeemed at the very person and life and incarnation of Jesus Christ. Do you see that? The cross shows us God's extravagant expense. Almost scandalous is this price that God paid so that you and I could be unshackled from our chains. But we ask ourselves a question. Why does God want us to know how much he paid? There can only be two reasons why God would want us to know that he paid this great price. And only one of them can be right. The first reason why God wants us to know the price of our redemption is so that we'll feel guilty. So we'll look at him and go, oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. I'm going to walk around in wallowing guilt for the rest of my life because there's Jesus on the cross. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to beat myself up for the rest of my life because it took God nothing less or more than the very blood of Jesus Christ to redeem me. Or the second option is God wants us to know the cost so that we will delight in his extravagant love for us. That God wants us to see his pursuit of us. He wants us to see the price that we paid, that he paid, so that you and I could once again delight in him as our Savior and enjoy, by say enjoy, enjoy our redemption, enjoy God's love, enjoy God's compassion. You know, when I get sharing something really expensive, which is daily, by the way, I buy our expensive things all the time. She loves it when I lie up here, you know. <laughs> you know, when I get her something expensive, I'm not wanting her to go, oh my gosh, you paid so much money, I feel so bad on my lo-. You know what I want her to know when I buy her something expensive? I want her to know that I desire to pursue her, that I desire to love her, that I desire to be with her. Do you see that? There's a difference. And there is a form of Christianity that says, you know, you need to look at the blood of Jesus Christ and really beat yourself up. You need to look at the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you come to the communion table, you better do it. We've actually gotten in trouble at Crosspoint with some folks in the past where people are like, you know, you're not solemn enough. You're not serious enough with communion and all that stuff. It's like, man, the table of communion is about the joy of God of Jesus giving his body and his blood. It's about the joy of forgiveness, the joy of being released from our transgressions. God has thrown our sins into the sea of forgetfulness As far as the east is from the west, so much has God forgiven us. And you know why God shows us all of that? So that you and I will enjoy and delight in him and his love for us. You know, look, again, let me just say, our biggest problem is we don't think that God is very important. We don't think he's very delightful, that he's worth our priority or our time. And God's like, man, I want you to see through my love how awesome I am how glorious I'm the most worthy of your praise I'm the most worthy and look at how I've loved you and pursued you and treasured you by giving up Christ Christ and his blood tells us something theologically and philosophically and ultimately practically about who God is. God is not like the gods of the ancient world where they were capricious and they had no morality and they just kind of woke up on the on on, you know and had bad days and therefore zapped people. God is not like that. God is rooted in holiness. And God is rooted in relationship and love. And the blood of Christ and the price of our redemption shows us this great God. And so once we've defined our chains and once we've begun to delight in the cost of our redemption, then we can begin to confess our belonging. And here's the kind of the practical thing. The practical thing of redemption is that we need to confess our belonging to God and his people and his purposes. Once again, Titus chapter 2, verse 14. It says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Ultimately, what God is doing in our redemption through Jesus Christ, you know what he's doing? He's moving us from the the taskmaster of Satan and sin and self and selfishness, and he's transferring our ownership from that to himself. Like, Jesus doesn't redeem us so that we can go and just do whatever we want to do. Jesus redeems us so that we might root our identity in the fact that we don't belong to ourselves, do we? We now belong to God. He has purchased us. We are his own possession. I love one of my favorite passages on this by the way. Is 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 19 and 20. Where the apostle Paul says, "Or do you not know that your body Is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You don't belong to yourself anymore, do you? And by the way, for me, that's a good thing. I don't want to belong to myself. Because every time I belong to myself, I only get in trouble. Life goes much better for me when I realize and I confess regularly, I don't belong to myself. I don't belong to anybody else. I belong to God. I've been purchased at the price of the blood of Jesus Christ, and there's no need for me to understand anything less or more than the fact that I belong to God. When you think about this practically, Revelation chapter 5, I don't have a slide for this. If you have a Bible, you can go to Revelation 5. In fact, why don't you do that? I'm preaching really fast today, so I've got extra time. <clears throat> I'm going to have to finish here pretty quick. Revelation 5 and verses 9 and 10, it says, And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you are slain, and by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You can see in these verses that we were, we were ransomed with the blood of Jesus to be a people for God. We are his priests. One day we will reign on earth with God because we've been ransomed for God. And that means that we belong to God. You're like, how can I walk in that? How can I walk in this confession of belonging to God? I would just say this. Number one, you need to praise God. Do not underestimate the power of praising God and saying every single day, Lord, I thank you that I belong to you. I want to exist for what you have for me to do. I'm not trying to bring you into my story. I want you to bring me into your story. I want to praise you for the rest of my life. And the more you praise him, the more that the loves that have replaced God in your hearts will go away. In fact, I have a quote here from Timothy Keller. And I've got a a slide for it as well. Listen to this great quote. It says, Tim Keller says this, quote, When we behold the glory of Christ in the gospel, It reorders the loves of our hearts, so we delight in him supremely, and other things that have ruled our lives lose their enslaving power over us. Do you see what happens when we begin to praise God, like Revelation 5, as his redeemed people? The enslaving things that begin to rule our life, whether it's addictions or attitudes or bitterness or anxieties or worries, the more we begin to fill our life with the praise of God, fill our life with the desire of God. When God comes in through praise, listen, enslaving powers have to leave. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Here's the other thing you need. Not only praise of God, but you need the people of God. The redeemed belong God. To God and his people. You need other believers in your life reminding you who you are in Christ. You know, the whole, what's the world ask? Beloved, what does the world ask? The world keeps asking, who am I? Who am I? And you know what the gospel gives to us? It gives us a different question. Whose am I? And we need people in our life to remind us Whose we are. Here's the final thing: not only praise, not only his people, but you need to pray to him. You need to pray to him. Pray to God regularly. And I would just say this: that you know, you might not be a Christian and you ask, you know, how do I become a Christian? I talked about this at the at the beginning, but the the, the first thing you need to do is personally pray to Jesus Christ and say, I want to turn from darkness. And I want to embrace your liberating redemption that you provide for me on the cross. I've been shackled. I've been in chains of being separated from God. My separation from God has led to all kinds of evil and trouble. And I'm ready now, Jesus, for you to unshackle me and to connect me in a relationship with God. But as believers, let me just encourage you. Cultivate that prayer life. You belong to God. Confess your belonging through prayer. Amen. Redemption. What a great dimension of the cross. Not only has the penalty of sin been taken away through justification because of Jesus' death, but redemption and the power of sin has been broken because of the death of Jesus on the cross. Let us pray.